motivating doxology. And thirdly, it's a contagious doxology. Well, congregation, the shepherds had just learned, they had just learned from the first angel the good news of great joy that a Savior had been born. That was big news. But then as if that wasn't enough, a whole host of angels suddenly appears and proclaims that magnificent doxology that we just, we just read. What a telling doxology, telling the significance of Jesus' birth. You see, it tells us, first of all, doesn't it, that Jesus' birth brings great glory to God. Glory, fame, honor, awe, and reverence to God, the angels exclaim, right on the heels of the announcement of Jesus' birth. Isn't that amazing to think about, congregation? The news of the Savior's humble birth is accompanied with heaven's highest praises of God. The angels whom the Lord tells Job in Job 38 sang together and shouted for joy at God's creation now together proclaim God's highest praises at his incarnation, at his becoming man. And how amazing is that? Because these angels, they're not even the ones who need the Savior. Matthew Henry rightly says about this text, other works of God are for his glory. But the redemption of the world is for his glory in the highest. Other works of God are for his glory. But the redemption of the world is for his glory in the highest. Jesus' birth, the opening act, as it were, in God's fulfillment of his promised redemption, brings great glory to God. Isn't that so telling? And for one thing, it, it means, it means then, and that if you haven't ever really paid attention to Jesus' birth, if you haven't really ever paid attention to that Savior who's been born 2,000 years ago, you better start. You know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, on the basis of Scripture, the first question and answer is, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man, the answer is, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But not caring about the Savior, ignoring Him, being indifferent about Him, is really not caring about God or His glory. It's ignoring Him. It's, it's being indifferent toward Him. And that's a serious matter. You see, the angels proclaiming glory to God in the highest with the announcement of the Savior's birth tells us that this Savior, this Savior in the, in the manger is extremely precious to God. The Lord is extremely, He's supremely pleased with this Savior. But what then does He think? What then will He do with those who despise the Savior? who neglect him, and who refuse to trust in and submit to him. But on the other hand, what an encouragement. What an encouragement, what a reassurance we have in those words, glory to God in the highest. What a reason we have hearing those words to, to trust this Savior and to love him so much too. You see, the angel's praise means we are not left wondering what God thinks of Jesus. The shepherds, they, they could have thought that after hearing the, the announcement, especially that sign, the Savior in a feeding trough? How could the long-promised, the long-awaited Savior, the Lord and the King of glory, be lying in a feeding trough? 
That doesn't seem to make any sense. Any more, any more than the Savior naked and bloodied, hanging on a cross or lying in a grave. Would God really let the Savior be humbled like that? How can, how can the manger, how can the cross bring any glory to God? That's how we think by nature. But God, but God comes and he makes so very clear to the shepherds. He doesn't even let them ask the question. Because the moment the first angel finishes his announcement, the angel army, one pastor put it this way, it's like the reinforcements come out. The angel army comes out and declares glory to God in the highest They are not left wondering whether the baby in the manger really is the Savior whom God has promised. No, the angels' burst of praise to God with the birth of Jesus is telling the shepherds, and not just the shepherds, but it's telling us too, that he is the one. The one lying in the animal feeding trough really is the one. Oh, what a reassurance. What a a call, what an encouragement to trust in him and in him alone for all our salvation. What a call, what an encouragement to love this Savior. Not only because the angel doxology tells us that Jesus' birth brings glory to God, it also tells us more, doesn't it? It also tells us that his birth brings saving blessing to man. On earth, peace, goodwill, Toward man. That's what the angels declare with the announcement of Jesus' birth. On earth, peace. Shalom. Perfect peace. What a blessing. What a blessing to hear that from God's heavenly army. What a relief that must have been to the shepherds when they saw this heavenly army suddenly appear. You think about, we read it about it in Scripture, how they were sore afraid when they saw just the one angel and the glory of the Lord. But, but then, but then to, to see a whole army suddenly come out, I don't know about you, but I think I would be terrified. I'd be shaking. I'd, I would probably think I'm done for. My life is over. Glory to God in the highest, they shout. Don't you think, congregation, don't you think the shepherds would have felt like Isaiah? In Isaiah 6, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the seraphim, the angels, crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Glory to God in the highest. Don't you think the shepherds would have thought what Isaiah first thought? Woe are we. For we are undone. We are destroyed because we are men of unclean lips. And we dwell among a people of unclean lips. Glory to God in the highest. But then, but then, oh then, what does the angel army do, children? Do they pull out their flaming swords? You know, like the cherubim guarding the Garden of Eden guarding the way to the tree of life, had his flaming sword to keep them out. Is that what they do? Do they pronounce fiery judgment? No, instead, oh, wonder of wonders, they pronounce full salvation. On earth, peace. Perfect peace. Peace with God. Reconciliation with God. Acceptance by God. That's what the Savior's birth brings. It brings peace, 
peace to a rebel, sinful humanity that deserves no peace, that desperately needs it. And peace, peace not just on Israel, but on the whole earth. Yes, on Gentiles like you and me too. You see, the Savior who was born, the Savior who was born is a Savior not just for Israel. He's a Savior for all people. That's what the angel's army doxology is telling us. But the Savior's birth not only brings peace and reconciliation with God, it brings peace and reconciliation with fellow men, with all those whom God saves. Christ is our peace, Paul says in Ephesians 2, who has made both Jews and Gentiles one, reconciling both unto God in one body by the cross. You see, congregation, that's the significance of Jesus' birth. He wasn't born. He wasn't born to be a cute little baby. He was born to be our peace. By dying a bloody death on the cross, taking the judgment and wrath of God that we deserve on himself. Jesus was born to glorify God by satisfying his justice and at the same time bringing us to God in peace and bringing us together in peace too. That's why the angel's doxology declares on earth, peace. But the angels, the angels say more. Goodwill. Goodwill toward men. You wonder how God can show peace. It's because of his goodwill. Because, his sovereign, because of his sovereign good pleasure toward sinners. Already in eternity, when he determined in his incomprehensible love and grace to save sinners, to save a people, to redeem a people for himself. That's, that's what the, this birth of the Savior is declaring. God's good will toward men. Now, different Bible versions interpret, it, interpret this phrase a little differently depending on the Greek manuscript they rely on. I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but just, just for awareness' sake, the, the King James and the New King James interpret it as a separate phrase. How we have it: goodwill toward men. Other versions interpret it as a restriction of, of the peace. So you have peace on earth, but that, that peace isn't to everyone, for every person, head for head. But it's only on those with whom God is pleased, or only for those on whom His favor rests. And, and of course, that's. That's, that's true, ultimately. It's true that the birth of Jesus doesn't mean everyone is saved. That's what we confess. That's what Scripture says, and what we confess on the basis of Scripture, also in Lord's Day 7, which we, of the Heidelberg Catechism, which we hope to, to look at next week. But my own conviction, for, for several reasons, which, if you're interested, you can ask me later, is that our version, and, and the New King James as well, is correct. The birth of the Savior, the angels are saying, is simply this. It's a revelation of God's good will toward man. Toward mankind. Toward humanity. It's a revelation that the holy and righteous and just God is also a God of kindness and of saving grace and of, of goodwill, of love. Sovereign, undeserved love towards sinful mankind. 
The Savior's birth reveals to us, it assures us that God, who has every right to condemn everyone to hell because of their sin, yet shows saving grace, sovereign saving grace to sinful people through the Savior. One person speaking on this passage put it this way. The, the angels are saying, with goodwill toward men, they're saying that, that this baby in the manger is love, the love of God with skin on. The love of God with skin on. How astounding. How amazing. What a telling doxology, telling us Jesus' birth brings glory to God and saving blessing to man. Oh, what a marvel. You know, we can become so used, we can become so used to the news of the Savior's birth. We can become so used to hearing about his birth every single year for several weeks in a row. Some of you for 70 years, maybe even more. And maybe it, sometimes by the time we get to Christmas Day, it gets almost tiring. Maybe, maybe even... It's tempting to think it gets a bit boring. And of course, there is much more, there's much more to the Bible, in the Bible, than the news of, of a Savior being born. There's much, much more. But the, but the news of the Savior's birth should never, ever grow old. And the angel army's doxology is telling us, it's reminding us again of the great significance of the Savior's birth. So that our love, our love and our desire for the Savior is revived and increase. You see, when you really hear it, by grace, through faith, when you really pay attention to what this doxology is declaring, it won't tire you out. No, it won't weary you. It will motivate you. We see that from our text as we consider our second point. The angel army's doxology is a motivating doxology. It motivated the shepherds. We, we see that in verses 15 to 19, and I invite you to read those words with me. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord, the Lord, has made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The angel's doxology congregation had a powerful effect on these shepherds. It didn't just make their hearts beat faster, although I'm sure it did. It made their feet move and their mouths open. It motivated them. In the first place, it motivated them to go and find the Savior. Children, imagine, imagine if we had been the shepherds. A sight like that, a, a doxology proclaimed by a mighty angel army like that, I think would have frozen us to the ground. We would have been transfixed as we, we saw. Maybe we would have been even face down on the ground. I don't know. The, the Bible doesn't tell us what the shepherds did. But we would have been transfixed as this doxology was being proclaimed. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. But eventually that doxology ended and, and the angels went back up into heaven and the fields became dark again. And what did the angels do? Or what did the shepherds do, rather? That was a nice concert, wasn't it? 
No. As soon as they could speak, and who knows how long that took, but as soon as they could speak, they said to one another, Let's go! Let's go! Even now into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. They all agreed, let's go. There's nothing more important than going to find the Savior. Don't worry about the sheep. No, let's go. Let's go now. And so they went. The Bible says they went with haste. They hurried. I imagine them running across the fields to get to Bethlehem as fast as they could or at least walking as fast as they could. They certainly weren't strolling, looking up at the stars. No, they went with haste. The angel army doxology motivated them to go and to find the Savior. Children, you know how hard it is to wait for something exciting that's about to happen. Maybe it was hard for you to wait for Christmas. Or maybe it's, maybe it's hard to, for you to wait for your birthday. You, you just want to hurry up and, and get there. You count down the days. Adults have that too. Couples get engaged. They start counting down the days. Or maybe you, you go with your family on a vacation and it's a long drive away and, and you just can't wait to get there. That's a little bit how this, like how the shepherds felt. They just couldn't wait to go and find Jesus. Isn't there a lesson here for us? Maybe, maybe you are here tonight and you don't know the Savior. You don't know Jesus. You've never found him. Maybe because it's never interested you. Or maybe it's because you think he has to find me first. That's not what the shepherd said. Let's go now. Let's see the Savior who has been born. The angel army doxology motivated them to go and find him. Won't it motivate you? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What a, what a doxology telling us so much about the Savior, that he is everything, everything we need. He is the peace, the way to peace with God. He is the love of God towards sinners. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is the way of peace with God, a peace that he extends. He extends and he offers sinners in his sovereign good pleasure. And yet what is the response of so many? What is the response of you here tonight, your congregation? Some of you? I'll go later. I'll find him later. You don't know if you'll have later. But what about the sheep or the cows or the business? What about my education? What about my house? There is nothing, beloved. There is nothing more urgent and important than finding the Savior. Without Him, you are still in your sin. You are still in your rebellion. You are still a hater of God and an enemy of God. And you are unprepared to meet God. Why would you procrastinate? Why would you put it off? Why would you refuse the peace with God and the peace of God that is given to all who know and trust the Savior? Oh, won't you hear the call of the gospel also through the angel army doxology tonight? 
Be ye reconciled to God. But maybe you're here and you do know the Savior. It's just that, well, if you're honest, things have been busy lately. You've been pursuing other things, other interests. Your heart's been filled with all kinds of other things. And you wish, oh, you wish for that communion with Christ you once had. But it's gone. It's almost as if he is gone. That's what it feels like to you. Oh, beloved, then don't stay there. Don't despair. Don't scuff your feet in in shame. But run, yes, run, hurry, go with haste and seek the Savior. Be like that bride in the Song of Solomon, seeking her beloved, seeking the one whom her soul loves, whom her soul yearns for, whom her soul can't do without. He is the chiefest among 10,000. He is the one at whose birth the angels proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So seek him. Seek him earnestly in prayer before God. Seek him in his word. Don't rest until you find him. And you will find him. Because he is there. And he will make himself known to you. Because he loves his bride. He loves his bride with an everlasting, drawing love. The angel army's gospel doxology motivated the shepherds to seek, to find the Savior. It made their feet move, but it also made their mouths open. It motivated them to witness. When they found the Savior congregation, they didn't just keep it to themselves. But verse 17 says that they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Isn't that amazing? The shepherds What did the shepherds find when they found the Savior? What did they see? They saw a baby lying in a manger, a feeding trough. That's it. That's all they saw with their physical eyes. But they saw far more with the eyes of faith by the word of God from his angels. The angels had made clear to them that this little baby lying in a place as humble as a feeding trough was the glorious Savior sent by God in his sovereign grace and favor to bestow peace, eternal, lasting peace, full salvation on undeserving sinners, on dying people who were headed to hell. Oh, that was news. That was news that could not be kept to themselves. But you say they're just shepherds. They don't have seminary training. That makes no difference. They had a saying they could tell. It had to be shared. It had to be proclaimed. It had to be told. It was good news of great joy to all people, the first angel had said. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And the doxology of the angels just drove that home. It sealed it. It made it absolutely certain in their minds and hearts. And it motivated them to go and to tell others, to witness. You know, children, when you get, when you get presents, maybe at Christmas, maybe at your birthday, you like to tell other people, don't you? You like to maybe tell your grandparents, this is what I got. Look, look, look what I have. You're excited to tell them. Well, that's what the angel's doxology motivated the shepherds to do with the gift of God's Son. It motivated them to witness. 
So what about us? I speak as much to myself here as to anybody. What about me? You know, it's, it's easy. It's easy to stand up here in a certain sense to, and, and, and to preach the gospel to a congregation that is here, that has come to, to hear it. But, it. but it's not easy out there, is it? It's not so easy. At our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, also our extended families, with our friends. So often we, we hold back. What, what if I say the wrong thing? What, what if they reject me? What if they laugh at me? We have all these fears, and, and those fears are, are understandable. And, and don't get me wrong, we need to be wise in how we witness and how we proclaim the gospel. But, but let us not fear what man can do to us. We have been given congregation. We have been given the best news there could ever be. A news, news that there is a Savior. News of which the army of heaven descended to proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And oh, when we have seen that Savior for ourselves by faith, when He is dwelling, when we have Him dwelling in our hearts by His sweet grace, dwelling not in a dirty feeding trough, but in our still so so often so sinful hearts in order to save us, in order to sanctify us and purify us and fit us for heaven, that we want to tell others about it, don't we? Yes, sometimes we're not sure how. Well, I love what Calvin says about this passage. You know how he describes the shepherds? The shepherds are secondary angels. Secondary angels. They simply told others what the word of God said, what the angels had said concerning this child. Oh, congregation, you can be a secondary angel. I can be a secondary angel. No, we're not... Angels as spirits like they are, but a messenger, a messenger of God, simply proclaiming to others, simply telling others what the Word of God says, telling them a Savior is born, for unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's call others to come and to see what God has done in Christ, and let's leave the results to God. He knows those who are His. Some, maybe most, maybe most even, will, will wonder and, and that's all. Some may even persecute us. But some, like Mary, will listen and will ponder. And if, like Mary was, there are already believers, but, the, but she had to grow in her faith, their faith will be, will be strengthened. And over time, it will grow and it will be an encouragement. We can, our witnessing can be a mutual encouragement to each other too, can't it? Or maybe if they're They're not yet believers. In due time, the planted seed will bring forth fruit. Maybe right away or maybe maybe later in life, maybe not through you, but through someone else or, or some other way, the Lord, he'll bring all those gospel seeds that were dropped just a little here and a little there and he'll bring it all together. And faith will sprout. Either way, the results are God's concern, not ours. Let us be faithful. Let us be faithful in witnessing of our Lord Jesus Christ to whomever we can. He's just too great a Savior to keep to ourselves, isn't he? Well, what a gospel doxology. The angel army's doxology is. It's such a telling doxology. And it's such a motivating doxology. 
But notice thirdly and lastly with me, it's also such a contagious doxology. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The angel army went back up into heaven, but the doxology they proclaimed didn't. No, it latched on to the shepherds so that before they knew it, after they had seen and found the Savior, they were returning, glorifying and praising God just like the angels. The doxology of the angels is a contagious doxology. And again, that's, that's so amazing. that you, It's so surprising in a sense. All the shepherds see is a baby lying in a manger. How in the world could a sight like that result in them going back to their sheep, glorifying and praising God? And yet it did. It did because the Holy Spirit had come and given them the eye of faith. They looked at that baby you see in the light of the word they had heard and believed. And their hearts erupted. It erupt, they erupted in praise and glory to God. Oh, and the Holy Spirit so works in your heart that you see in this baby lying in a manger, that you see in the baby who years later would as a man hang from the cross and then lie in a tomb, that you see in this one, the Savior, the wisdom and the power of God, then you cannot keep from praising and glorifying God. You see, then you realize, you realize, oh, praise God, He has done it all by His marvelous grace. My salvation is not because of anything in me. It's all because of him and what he has done. Oh, then the Spirit of God, you see, he puts a new song in your heart, a song of praise and glory to God, who alone does wondrous things. But you see, even though it's a gracious gift and fruit of the Spirit, the praising and glorifying God congregation is also a fruit of our actively seeking God. The shepherds praised and glorified God because they had gone to find the Lord Jesus. And they found him. They found him exactly as the angel said to them. So they saw and they experienced for themselves the Lord's faithfulness, the Lord's faithfulness to his word. That's how the angel army's doxology spread to the shepherds. You see, congregation, praising and glorifying God like the angels and like the shepherds is a fruit of the Spirit, but it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by just sitting here. It doesn't happen by just being in this room together every Lord's Day. No, it spreads. It spreads when we go, when we go for ourselves and we go to find the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see, we see in Him the faithfulness of God. we find that he is everything God says he will be for you. He is perfect. Oh, there may be times, I know there's times when you struggle to see it. Our own sinful hearts can blind us to it. Our unbelief still that remains. Satan can try to keep us from seeing it. He comes with his attacks and his assaults to get you down. But the truth of the matter is this, the Savior will never fail you. He is perfect. He is exactly the Savior God tells us He is in His Word. And when you know that, you see, when you know that by personal experience, by the power of the Spirit applying the Word of God to your heart, then you cannot help but glorify and praise God. He has done all things well. And that just changes everything. And you can go out of these doors. You can go 
return home. You can return tomorrow to your work, whether that's keeping watch over sheep or whether that's keeping the house or whether that's taking care of the children or whether that's working in the barn or in the office or in the factory or studying at school. Whatever work God has called you to do, you can do it with joy and with purpose. Praising and glorifying God for his great work of salvation, for his son, for the Savior born unto you. So have you caught, have you caught the angel army's doxology? Will you, will I return home tonight? Will we return to work tomorrow, glorifying and praising God for all the things that we have heard and seen? You know, it doesn't end here. You go to the end of Luke, the very last verse in the Gospel of Luke. And what do you find the disciples doing after the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven, having raised his hands in blessing? That's the last sight they had of him. They returned to Jerusalem, glorifying, praising, and blessing God in the temple. You see how contagious the angel army doxology is? Oh, beloved, if that is how we may return home tonight, then one day we won't just echo the angel's doxology. We will join. We will join with them. In that great day when the Lord returns, as Jesus says, he will return himself with his holy angels and send his angels out to gather his elect, all those whom he has saved by grace, his sovereign grace through faith in him. And bring us to be with him and with all those angels, a multitude that no one can number. We will glorify and praise God together. Then the doxology of the angels here in Luke 2 isn't really the end, is it? It's just the beginning. Then we will sing, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. O Lord, our God, We have heard the angel army tonight declaring with the news of the Savior's birth glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What a doxology telling us so much, motivating us. What a contagious doxology. Lord, we ask that We pray that you would so work in our hearts through your word this evening. That what we have heard tonight, that the doxology we would have heard tonight would be a beginning. A beginning for those who maybe have never praised and glorified you in their lives, not from the heart. That they would be struck by the sovereign love of God 
undeserved. And the peace with God through Jesus Christ. They would turn to you in faith. And that, O oh Lord, you would put a new song in their hearts. That you would put a new song in all of our hearts this evening. That we would see once again, for it, not just for the first time, but for again with fresh eyes. What a gospel. What a Savior. What a God. And so, Lord, we pray that as we go into this week, into our work, into our homes, wherever we are, that you would enable us, enable us to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, fixed on the Savior, so that we would glorify and praise him, even as we go through our days. For, Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy of all our praise, all the praise of heaven and earth. Hear us, Lord, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name alone. Amen. In closing, let us sing from Psalter 400. Psalter